0: So it's good to be here today, and uh, God is good, isn't he? He's a good God. I wish Sherry could be here. We're, I guess we're part, I guess you call the sandwich generation. <laughs> As you know, we have two disabled kids, so those younger than us we're taking care of, and then Sherry's uh, parents are a little bit older. Uh, Sherry's dad's going to celebrate his 90th or 91st birthday. Come here May 24th, I think it is, 25th. And so um, the siblings kind of chip in and help out taking care of uh, Sherry's parents, especially Sherry's dad. And Sundays is usually our day uh, to kind of help out. And so Sherry is kind of with uh, Sherry's dad, especially today, to help out, uh, take him to church and take him out to eat. And so uh, she sends her greetings along today. And uh, I know Bart's praying back there in Tennessee for this, uh, for this service today, praying for you. Uh, you have a pastor that loves you and that prays for you. You have a pastor's wife as well that does the same. The, I lost sight of Dee, Dee here, but she's somewhere around here. Oh, she's, oh, okay. So uh, you've got uh, some terrific, terrific people here today. Amen. Amen. God is good. Well, I, uh, I happened to, to come across an old illustration, uh, just to start off with something sort of funny today, uh, that, uh, that I read like 25 years ago when I was studying for the ministry in college, Actually, maybe back at maybe more like 30, 35. Anyway, uh, it's been a while, but uh, it's the, this guy that, uh, he died, went to heaven, was at the pearly gates and met there an angel, and the angel basically said, okay, so uh, kind of tell me what you did in this life. Before we let you in here, tell me what you did. And He said, well, probably the most significant thing that I did recently was, uh, he said, I, I was uh, walking down the street, and I saw this big burly motorcycle guy beating up this little old lady. And he said, I went up to him, and I shook my finger in his face and said, you stop doing that. Then he said, I, I kicked the guy's shins and then I hauled off and I hit him in the midsection. And uh, the angel said, that's really impressive. That's, that's great. He said, about how, how long ago did you do this? He said, about three minutes ago. <laughs> Didn't quite make it, like as far as he wanted to make it in life. But anyway, uh, that has no relevance at all to my sermon today. But uh, anyway, well, uh, Bart had asked me uh, recently, he said, you know, I'm I'm on this series, and uh, we're talking about being amazed. And uh, he said, I just want to know if if you want to kind of continue that when you come, continue that uh, kind of that, um, that theme. I said, I'd love to do it. He said, anything that you would especially like to talk about? And I said, would it fit in to talk about being amazed by Jesus' compassion? He said, oh, he said, that would fit right in with kind of our theme here. So i had been thinking a little bit about that. So today I want to talk a little bit about amazed by Jesus' compassion. And uh, the question is, of course, why should we be amazed by Jesus' compassion? I mean, why should we be amazed by that? And I think probably the answer is that he was so different from everybody in his day and really we could probably say in so many ways different from so many in our day as well. I mean, you think about it. He had compassion on those who were outside his group, such as the Samaritans. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He had compassion on those whom society had cast out, the lepers. He had uh, compassion on those who were actually doing bodily harm to him. You remember on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And he had compassion on those who were rejecting him and would eventually reject him, that is, as it refers to in the scriptures, the tax collectors and the sinners. Many of those were rejecting him and were going to reject him as well, and yet he had compassion on them. He ate with them, he dined with them, he had a a party with some of them as well. I was uh, taking a look and thinking, you know that word amazed, amazed by Jesus' compassion, and uh, being a writer and an author, I like to take a look at synonyms as well. Some of the synonyms for amazed are shocked, shocked by Jesus' compassion. You know, I'm not sure if I'm shocked. but part of that is because I have come to know Christ over the years. But maybe, maybe when I was younger, didn't know much about Christ, maybe I would have been shocked by his compassion. How about astonished? I am quite astonished. Dumbfounded. There's a word for you, being Dumbfounded by Jesus. But the one I like is flabbergasted. Don't you love that word? That word just has a certain ring to it, you know, flabbergasted. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm flabbergasted by Jesus' compassion. <laughs> now hopefully, like not up here, hopefully you didn't spit on them like I am doing up here when I say it's kind of hard not to do that with that word. So uh, when we think about this, um, the question that, that I want to draw is, um, what are the lessons that we can learn today about Jesus' compassion. What are the lessons for us here in the 21st century? Well, first of all, I think the first lesson is God has called us to be compassionate people, to be people of compassion, just as he was. Now, what is compassion? Well, the real definition of compassion is this, sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or the misfortunes of others. Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or the misfortunes of others. So that word sympathy comes from two words, sim, which is really quite similar in a number of different languages. That word, uh, as well as in Greek, kind of has to do with being with, with somebody. In Spanish, it's con, in French, it's como. And so, um, uh, uh, pardon me, in French, it's avec. And so uh, the idea is being with somebody. And then the second part of that word is uh, Sympathy, uh, pathos, suffering. So you're with people in their suffering. That's kind of the word sympathy, what it's all about. To be compassionate is to be with somebody in their suffering and misfortune, to suffer with them. And uh, so it's interesting to me that the first illustration I want to talk about from Jesus' life is that he felt pity when faced with the misfortune and the suffering of other people. He felt it. It struck him. And of course, uh, you probably, uh, before me, are already realizing the the scripture I'm going to use in John 11, 33 and 34. You remember when uh, uh, Mary's brother, Lazarus, passed away. You remember Mary? Mary was the one that came to Jesus and she knelt down before him and she took that uh, expensive perfume and she uh, took her hair and wiped it on, on Jesus' feet. Well, this is the same Mary that uh, sent the message to Jesus and said, my brother, uh, my sister Martha and I, our brother, Lazarus, has passed away. And Jesus showed up, and it says in John eleven thirty three 33 and 34, when Jesus therefore saw her, that is Mary, weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see And then two words. It just simply says, Jesus wept. Don't you love that? Jesus wept. Jesus felt pity for others' pain. His reaction to their pain, he wept. Now you consider all the responses that Jesus could have had. Very good, very valid responses that he could have had. He could have said this, or Mary, it's all right. Everything's going to be all right, Mary. And uh, that's a great response. That's a valid response. That's a loving response. We say that uh, to people that are going through difficult times all the time. He could have said, one day you'll see Lazarus. You'll see your brother again. It's going to be all right. Don't worry. You're going to see him again one day at the resurrection. Great response. Valid response. Or he could have said, well, actually, he said an earlier when he first heard about Lazarus passing away, he could have said, I am the resurrection and the life. He could have proclaimed that. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And that includes Lazarus, Mary. Very valid response, but it just simply says, Jesus wept. And I think that those two words have such an, an impact. Two little words whose impact goes a lot further than just a short uh, two little words there. I wonder what Jesus, uh, Mary's response was to Jesus' response. Jesus' response, Jesus, he wept. And I wonder what Mary's response was to seeing Jesus weeping over her brother. I imagine it really warmed her heart to realize that this man, some people started to understand that he was the Son of God, that he was actually God. Some people didn't. But to understand that this man was actually weeping with her for her brother. You know, It's interesting how sometimes just an expression of compassion that we have, just an expression, a verbal expression that we give to another person going through a difficult time, that can be the part of something that starts to bring healing in their lives. And sometimes, I've even seen it, an expression of kind and gentle and loving words to somebody can actually really usher in the healing in that person's life as they're going through suffering. I heard of a little girl that was sent on an errand by her mother. And uh, the mother expected her to be back in about 10 minutes, but actually the little girl didn't make it back home until about 20 minutes. And so the mother was waiting there, wondering where she was, and asked her for an explanation as to why it took her so long. And the little girl explained that on her way, to do the air, and on her way back, I should say, she had met a little friend who was uh, sitting with a, her broken doll in her hand. Her doll had broken. And so the mother said, oh, okay, so I understand. You stopped to help her fix her doll. And the little girl said, no, 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 I didn't do that. I just stopped to help her cry. <laughs> That's a wonderful little story, isn't it? But you think about that. What uh, what helped to this little girl to kind of get over the fact that her little doll was broken? Somebody had stopped by and expressed some sympathy for her. Consider you know, the the mother or father; they're outside. It's a southern night, and their little girl, little boy, five six years old, is learning how to ride a bike. And that little girl, that little boy let's say it's a little boy uh, falls over, and he's there. Let's just move it down, maybe age three or four or so, and he's crying on the ground because he's got his knees are all bloodied. The mother and father, they don't just sit there. They don't ignore the child. They run, maybe. They go quickly to that little child, that little boy. What do they do? They say kind words to him. Everything's going to be okay you can stop crying now everything's going to be okay and then they take some medicine perhaps they put it on there and then they they put a band-aid on but part of what brings healing and calmness to that little boy that little girl is the fact that there is somebody there to kind of administer a kind soft gentle kind of a word at that point imagine the response instead if that parent that mother, that father would just sit on the porch, sit in the front yard, and just totally ignore that child. What a difference it makes. What is it that brings healing to that little child? Yeah, it's the medicine. It's the Band-Aid. But even more than that, it's that expression of kindness and love from the parents. I heard of a black minister that was doing a funeral for a family in his church. And this family down on the front row was there during, during the funeral. And he was delivering his sermon, his eulogy. And uh, he looked down and he saw that they were crying. They had lost their son to a horrible accident. And uh, they were weeping on the front row. And all of a sudden, he just had tears well up within him. He took a look, at, uh, look at, uh, down at them. And he kind of burst out and he said this. He said, damn you, death. Damn you, death. In other words, there was this expression of sympathy for the the, the parents that had lost this child that had another 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years to live that death is the enemy. And at this one point, death had gained the advantage over that. There was an expression of kindness that didn't didn't issue out in terms of everything's going to be okay or weeping. It was an expression against the evil forces in our society. That's an expression of compassion as well. Today, each of these stories, Jesus weeping, that uh, little child getting the kindness of his parents, this pastor with the outburst against the evil of its day, they all kind of remind us of who Jesus is. That today, what does this mean? Today, Jesus is here. The presence of Jesus is here. He has come to administer sympathy and grace to us. If you're going through a difficult time today, he's not up there ignoring you. He's up there praying for you. But uh, we know from the scriptures that Jesus is one who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's the old King James way of saying, when you feel bad, he feels bad. The great thing is, he has a lot of power to do about, uh, to do something about it. I might feel bad about what you're doing, I might not be able to do much about it, but his Holy Spirit is here to bring healing and strength and encouragement to us today. So the question is, how compassionate are you? Now, you don't have to weep. A lot of us guys maybe don't feel comfortable doing that. The question is, do we feel moved by the misfortunes, the sufferings of other people. I believe that one of the reasons the Holy Spirit has come into our lives is to give us that ability to be able to weep and to suffer with others as they go through difficult times. A second thing that I think that uh, God wants to teach us through the life of Jesus is that he wants us to choose compassion over defensiveness and hatred. He wants us to choose compassion over defensiveness and hatred. You know, in college, I considered majoring in sociology. Uh, I learned that sociologists love to study groups, and I kind of like to study groups. I didn't major in sociology, but I'm always fascinated by groups. And one of the things I learned about groups is you take a large group and put it down into the smaller groups, like in society, and those small groups look at other groups, and they consider them either in groups or out groups. Sometimes they're called cliques a small group of 10 people, let's say, that have some kind of a group going, they take a look at those other groups and either they think those people are sort of like us, they're sort of like they're with us or they're not with us. They're either in groups or out groups. The question is, does the compassion of Christ reach not only to the in groups but also the out groups? And I think it does. We'll talk about that in just a second. I think one of the most classic in-group, out-group studies in the United States was the good old Hatfield-McCoy feud. You acquainted with that? Now, we don't know as much about it here on the West Coast, but if you're back in West Virginia, if you're back in, if you're back in Tennessee, Bart, you, uh, you know all about the Hatfields and McCoys. We've heard about it, but it's the classic feud down through history. It's actually a historical feud that actually took place. When was it? In the 1860s, early 1860s, the location near the border of West Virginia and Kentucky. I'm sorry, it's not Tennessee, it's Kentucky. And what happened? 1865 or so, a member of the Hatfield family was accused of murdering a member of the McCoy family. And thus started a feud that lasted about 40 years. 40 years. That feud drew in other members of the family and eventually drew in the two states. And the two states almost went to war with each other. you imagine that? So that first event that happened that caused the beginning of this feud was a member of the Hatfield family killed a member of the McCoy family. And of course there were bad feelings. That happened in 1865. Thirteen years later, a second event happened. Now, the first event is pretty sad, pretty serious. The second event's kind of humorous. The first event was over somebody that had been killed from their family, murdered. The second event was over who owned a hog. That's right. Who owned a hog? There was this really good hog, I guess. We were talking about hogs before the service, weren't we? I'm from Iowa. As my brother-in-law's granddad says, do you know that there are more hogs in Iowa than people? And I said, please don't remind me. You go on our highways, you can smell those hogs, that's for sure. It's not what I would really want my home state to be known for, but uh, it's true. So back in 1878, the Hatfields and McCoys got into it again over who owned this really, can you say, beautiful hog. <laughs> the Hatfields said, look, the notches on on the hog's ears. Those are the Hatfield notches. That's how we identify our hogs. The McCoy said, no, 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 that's not right. This hog is ours. Finally, it went to court. (laughs) It went to court. (laughs) Who owns this hog? The Hatfields won. They got the hog, and as a result, the McCoy family went and killed a member of the Hatfield family. So this went on. Other killings, other murders took place over the course of time until uh, finally... About 1901, that's right, in the next century, the feud finally stopped. I guess today, that uh, every year in June, there's a weekend, it's called the Hatfield McCoy Weekend. Uh, they have a big party in town in uh, Pigeon, Pigeon Fork, uh, Tennessee, I think. Anybody been to Pigeon Fork, Tennessee? I guess it's the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountains. Have you been there? And uh, so they have a big festival every year, three-day three weekend, where they have a marathon, they have a tug-of-war, they actually have a Hatfield-McCoy dinner theater. Uh, I told Sherry, I said, after reading about this, I want to go back there and check it out. So, uh, who knows? It's a few that started small that just grew and grew and grew. But you take a look at Jesus in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Here we have a great illustration of what Jesus does in the middle of defensiveness and hatred. It says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. So they're at the well, Jacob's well, and uh, Jesus is there sitting by the well. The woman of Samaria came, and Jesus said to her, He, he started the conversation. He said, Give. Uh, please give me a drink. And for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That little statement at the end. Jews have no dealings. I am a Samaritan woman. Actually, if you look into kind of the original language, part of what it says is that Jews will not eat from a plate that a Samaritan has eaten from. So that's why the woman was so surprised. You assume, it doesn't say, but you assume that she has some kind of a bucket. She has some kind of a ladle, I guess, to draw water. Perhaps, I assume, if she's there, uh, if I was her, I would have taken a drink. She's taken a drink of the water. And Jesus asked to drink from the same bucket or the same ladle that the Samaritan has drunk from. She says, how can you ever ask me for a drink to drink from this same utensil because Jews and Samaritans, we don't get along. Don't you realize our history? We're sort of like the McCoys, the Hatfields. So Jesus was showing compassion to her. She didn't even realize it. He was striking up a conversation. And eventually she became one of the greatest, they say, evangelists At least in the next several days, talking all about this man, a Jew who had asked her for a drink—quite a compassionate thing. One of the ways that we can be compassionate people is just to take the first step. Can you think of anybody that is in your out group, not in your in group, but your out group? One of the things that you can do. (laughs) So, Brooke, she just turned to her neighbor and said, "You're in my out group." (laughs) I caught you on that one there. But anyway, hopefully your outgroup is not sitting next to you. But anyway, if they are, but you take, take the first step, be an initiator. That is an act of compassion. You're reaching across the borders to reach out to somebody else who may be in an outgroup. Jesus took the first step. Consider this. I mean, even earlier than that, Jesus took the first step, left heaven came down to us here on earth that was quite an act of compassion wasn't it he came to us one of my favorite verses in the bible quoted it earlier today romans 5:8. but god demonstrates his own love for us in this why we were still sinners christ died for us why we were still sinners he didn't wait for you to become good enough he didn't wait for you to say okay i'm really sorry for my sin i'm turning towards even before that while you were still sinners christ died for you wow He took the first step. When I was in high school, we had our in groups and our out groups. I was part of the athlete group. Okay, they're called jocks, right? So I was part of the jock group, but I'll just use the word athlete. I was part of the athletes group. I mean, it was kind of natural. I was the quarterback of the football team. I was the starting point guard, sometimes called the quarterback guard, on our championship basketball team. So it was natural uh, that I was in the athletes group. But you know, when I became a Christian, God began to work within my heart to reach across kind of like the borders. And so I deliberately tried to be friends with the intellectual crowd. Now, I didn't quite succeed very much. (laughs) They didn't expect, uh, they didn't especially see me as an intellectual, (laughs) and that's for sure. I reached across to the motorcycle gang. I mean, we didn't have gangs back then, but. I mean, we had you know some guys. One of one of my best friends rode a motorcycle right down the main hallway of Hoover High School in Des Moines. He got kicked out of school for it. But anyway, he was a good friend. I was good friends with the choir group. I was uh, pretty good friend. I mean, I wasn't in the inner circle of these people. I didn't have time to do that. But I was good friends with. Uh, I mean, what are the other groups there? The druggy group. I was good friends with them. They asked me to be part of their, they were putting on a, a play one time, and they asked me to have a main role in their, in their drama. That was a surprise. But anyway, all of these groups that I was trying to reach, and their main reason, it wasn't in my personality. Inherently, I'm not like that. Inherently, believe it or not, I'm kind of shy, but I was, in, because of what Christ had done in my heart, I wanted to share Christ with them. I was reaching across these boundaries. And at graduation, you know, they gave me a, a, an award, it's called the Humanitarian Award. This plaque with a partial college scholarship and it said on the plaque it said I am a part of all I've met I thought that's I didn't set out to do that I set out to please Christ and somehow God just moved me across borders across from in groups to out groups I think part of compassion is taking that initiative to reach out to people that maybe people in your in group would not reach out to I would just say this, if you, don't, if you don't do that for any other reason, do it for your kids. I was sitting in church in Springfield, Missouri, this is like 30 years ago, Central Assembly, big church, now they've moved since that time, but that time they had a big balcony up there. So I was sitting in the balcony with some friends of mine, um, a friend, he, uh, he and his wife, and then their two kids, I think their two kids were about three and five, or five and seven at that point. So we're sitting up there, the service is about to start in about five or ten minutes, we're just sitting up there, small talk, this kind of a thing, and up the aisle towards us begins walking this guy, I didn't know who he was, but he was walking up our direction, and the little either five or seven year old turns to his dad next to me, and he said, Dad, is that the guy we're not supposed to like? (laughs) And uh, is that the guy we're not supposed to like? And I kind, of, I kind of chuckled because I knew, I knew what he was saying, and the dad said, shh, shh shut up, shut up. <laughs> exactly the thing I would have done if my son would have said it as well. Kids catch things. We may not even say anything, but they catch it, don't they? They catch this stuff. So go across some of those boundary lines or reach out. Reach out. The final thing is this. <clears throat> see beyond a person's outward condition and see his or her needs. See beyond a person's outward conditions and see his or her needs. I think it's important to see not only the person's physical or emotional state, but to realize their spiritual state as well. And uh, there's a principle related to showing compassion. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this, so regard no one from a worldly point of view. What's the worldly point of view? It's just this. The worldly point, it just takes a look at the surface of things. How do they dress? What kind of a car do they drive? Where do they live? How do they kind of look? Who are their friends? How much money do they have? All these kinds of things. What's it saying? Don't take a look from a worldly point of view. Take a look behind that and say, have they met Christ? Are they prepared for eternity? We have 60, 70, 80, 90 years here on this earth, but you've got an eternity in heaven. That's what really matters. These other things are sort of important, but that's looking on the surface of things. What really matters is if this person has made any decision. Are they serving Christ? And if they are Christians, are they really serving Christ? Or are they just kind of of going through the motions? In John chapter 5 or 6, we have the story of Jesus at the... Uh, At the Pool of Bethsaida. Now, in some of your Bibles, it'll say the Pool of Bethesda, but it was the same thing. So, uh, it was kind of an unusual pool. I've never heard of a pool like this before. It wasn't a swimming pool, just kind of a pool. And uh, it says at various times, the angel of the Lord would go down and kind of move the waters. And then, like, the first person or persons to get in the water after that would be healed, I've never heard of a pool like that. I mean, never heard about it. Anyway, So we don't have any other instance in the Bible of this kind of a thing. So really quite unusual. But the, the story goes, you know, they were disabled, sitting around the pool, I'm sure, waiting for the movement of the water. I mean, if I was there with my son John, we would have been at the water's edge, you know. And so uh, Jesus came on the scene, and he turned to a guy that was uh, sick Maybe he was disabled, and he said, do you you want to be healed? He said, yeah, I do, but when the water is troubled, everybody else gets there faster than I do. Boy, I can relate to that. I mean, uh, wheeling my son John around in the wheelchair, we can't get to places as fast as other people. Sometimes we lose places in line. Anyway, so he couldn't get there. Jesus said, okay, take up your mat and uh, walk. Wow, he did. He got healed. But the rest of the story is this. In verse 14, it says this. Find my notes here again. It says, but verse 14, but afterward, Jesus found him, the healed man in the temple, and he told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. First of all, it makes you ask the question, wow, is he that way? Because he did something bad in the beginning, but I don't want to get off on that subject, but what I want you to see is Jesus said, so stop sinning. In other words, he was compassionate about his physical need but he went and found this guy. He was compassionate about this man's spiritual need. Stop sinning. Just uh, draws attention to the fact that the eternal is so important. I can help somebody hopefully with their physical needs and their emotional needs but my real question is are you prepared for eternity? You know I'm 62 now. I was expecting some gasps and people saying, wow, you're 62, you're really an old guy. But anyway, um, I'm thinking more about heaven now than I used to, that's for sure. I was 20 or 25, heaven, that's a long ways away. It's a little bit closer now. I'm still hoping, I've asked the Lord to give me at least 90 years so that way I can take care of, at least be around for my son John. And uh, But anyway, uh, thinking a lot more about heaven but really, uh, it's not, not a bad idea when you're age 20 to think a little bit about heaven. Think a lot about heaven. It does a lot for your daily behavior, actually. But uh, the question is, where are we going to spend eternity? Well, those physical needs are really important. The emotional needs are really important. But really, I want to know where are you going to spend eternity? I mean, our life here is about this. And then eternity is like, well, I mean, the very definition of eternity says it just keeps going and going and going, right? There's no... That's the definition of eternity. I remember going through the Chicago airport one time. Yeah, is like, oh, John's 28, so I think it was about 26 years ago or so. O'Hare Airport, on a transfer somewhere. And at that time, they had a little uh, playground in the airport, in the terminal. And I was going by and seeing these little kids just running up the the ladder, going down the little slide. They even had little, like, swings, real small swings. And I... And I said to the Lord, I said, you know, my son John was just born two years ago. And I said, Lord, he can't do that. I mean, he's got cerebral palsy. And, man, I was feeling so bad. I said, Lord, why did this happen and all that kind of a thing? And, and the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, uh, you know, in eternity, your son's going to run up and down those stairs. He's going to go up and down those slides. He's going he's gonna to be on those swings. In eternity, he's going to get a new body now the Lord didn't say it to me but he must have known that my next thought would be not so much for those kids but thinking about adults there would be adults that have so much going for them in this life they've got everything going for them I'm not sure if any actually I don't know of anybody that has everything going for them but they've got a lot of stuff going for them but they're not prepared for eternity things are great for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years but how about eternity your son may have, of course, we were believing for a complete healing at that time. We still are. He may have these years here on this earth, but he's got eternity to look forward to. I mean, really, Ben, think about that. And it changed my perspective. I mean, uh, wow. So the question is, so stop sinning to this man. You've been healed. Let's deal with the spiritual now. Stop sinning. Jesus demonstrated this on the cross. Can you imagine being on the cross and those soldiers down there, not only ridiculing you, but continuing to make you suffer with the spear and everything else? And, uh, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. What incredible compassion. Oh, that God would give us compassion. I mean, uh, You know, occasionally I'll meet somebody in Starbucks and strike up a conversation. Of course, the question always comes around what do you do for a living? (laughs) I love that one. Or if I'm on the golf course, I used to go golfing quite a bit and I joined a threesome. You know, I become the fourth person. We're going along about hole number five. Hey, Ben, you know, it's good to have you with us. And I agree, what do you do for a living? (laughs) Well, I'm a minister. Oh, I'm sorry for all that swearing I've been doing here. And that's inevitably, that always happens. And I said, well, okay, that's all right. But in Starbucks, sitting down to talk to him, what do you do for a living? I'm a minister. Oh, I can see them thinking, what did I just say? I'm trying to think of what I said to him. You know, the question uh, that I want to ask them is, are you prepared for eternity? That's compassion. Ask compassion. Scripture says that in the end times, I'm just about finished here, that in the end times, Jesus talks about the fact that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Then another passage talks about that there will come a time when people will persecute you, and by persecuting you, they will think that they are doing God a favor. Now, that's kind of my loose translation. They will think that they are doing something good in the sight of God. Wow, that's a challenge. I mean, generally in our day, it's changing quite a bit in the last 10, 5, 10 years. But uh, if somebody is persecuting you for being a Christian, there's a certain amount of pity. It seems to be going down a little bit But for those who are being persecuted for their beliefs. But uh, things are changing quite a bit. But God calls us to continue to have this, to have this value of saying, what's most important is where you're spending eternity. And I know that in our day, that idea is even be considered, you know, of course, not PC. And it doesn't lead people to a safe place. But God has called us to talk about eternity. And to point people and saying, what's going to happen when you pass away? It could happen tomorrow, even if you're 20 years old. I'm 62, it could happen tomorrow. You could be, could be uh, 82 years old, It could be whatever. Are we prepared for eternity. So compassion says, okay, I see your physical needs. I want to meet those physical needs. I see your emotional needs. I want to reach out. But compassion also says, how about those spiritual needs? So my question to you today as we finish here, it's no wonder we were amazed at Jesus, at what incredible compassion he had. So how are you doing in this area of compassion? How are you doing? You know, on my computer, it has the little volume meter tells me whether it's at zero all the way up to 10. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll I'll turn it on. I'll wake up in the middle of the night, turn on my computer, and I forgot the fact that I had the volume at 10, and I got these bells that start to ring on my computer, and my son John said, hey, what's going on out there? And I wake him up. But, uh, you know, the question is, how is your compassion meter doing? Is it at 10? I hope so. Is it 5? Is it 0? Is it muted? I hope not. How's your compassion meter doing today? Are you a compassionate person? Like I said, I don't think you need to necessarily weep like Jesus did. I mean, if, if, if you do feel that, that's wonderful. But do you feel struck by the injustices, by the, by the suffering that people are going through? I think if you don't, I think you can just ask and pray to the Lord and ask you, and he can give you even greater compassion. I've seen it happen in my life. Second things, if you've been holding back from somebody, some defensiveness or maybe some hatred, maybe they're in that out group. They're not in your group and you haven't reached out to them because, because they're in that out group. My, my thought is this. Maybe God is calling you. Uh, the step that you would take after today is to be more compassionate and actually to make the first step towards them, like Jesus made the first step with the woman at the well. Or, or perhaps you've been just satisfied ministering to people's needs. That's wonderful. Their physical needs, their emotional needs, that's good. But the question is, have you addressed in some way their spiritual needs as well? So my prayer is this, that final PowerPoint there. I changed it after I did this. I put this as my final statement today. May others be amazed at our compassion. Afterwards, I thought, you know, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change the word others to God. May God be amazed at our compassion may God be up there in heaven and say, you know, this week for my sermon, Jesus says, we're going to talk about the compassion of Caleb. Amazed at Caleb's compassion. Amazed at Brooke's compassion, even though she's been talking about her neighbor there. Just joking about that, Brooke. Amazed at Ben's compassion. Now there, there's a real challenge right there. Amazed. May God be amazed at our compassion. Wouldn't you love it you got up to heaven and and you got to the pearly gates and it didn't say anything about beating up, trying to beat up a motorcycle guy. But uh, Jesus has said, it's amazing the compassion that you have in your life. I would love for Jesus to say something like that. Uh, I want to ask you today, you know, the scripture says that Jesus is in heaven interceding for us today. And, uh, you know, he's here and he, he feels compassion for you today no matter what your situation. Remember, Romans 5, 8 says that even when you were sinners, he, he died on the cross for you. So if you're here today and you say, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I just failed the Lord horribly this week. I just failed the Lord horribly this morning. Hey, Satan loves to condemn you. Jesus comes alongside and says, hey, listen, if you're, if you're sorry for that, whatever you did, I'm right here for you. I love you. I'm here to strengthen you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm a compassionate God. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. God looks for you, and he's compassionate over you today. He's compassionate. He loves. God is love. He loves us all. So if you're here today... You're facing quite a challenge. You want somebody to pray with you. I'm not going to have you come down here, but I want you to stand in just a minute, just a minute. And I'm going to ask those around you to kind of, if they want to lay a hand on your shoulder, that's fine. If they just want to reach, reach, reach out a hand and, and kind of pray for you right where you are. But we could never get away from a day like today talking about Jesus' compassion without realizing he is compassionate for you today right here. You're going through a tough time with your family members, with thoughts in your own mind. If you're going through a tough time at work, if you're going through a difficult time, He wants to minister to you today and let you know that He loves you. Would you bow your heads with me for a minute? Lord, I just come to you today. Thank you for this uh, group of people. I thank you that you love them today. Your compassion reaches out to us today, and so uh, Lord, we just ask you, Lord, by Your Holy Spirit to come and minister to us today. We thank you that your Holy Spirit's presence is here today. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to demonstrate today, Lord, that you have loved us with an everlasting love, which means it started a long time ago and continues through eternity. You have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you. Your word tells us in Romans 8, what will separate us from the love of God? It gives a long list of all kinds of things, and it says, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So if you're here today and you say, you know, I'm going through a tough time, I need I need the compassion of Christ. I want you just to stand where you are and we're gonna